Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ryan Painter Podcast. Today, I sit down with Blaine Badiak, professional tweeter and undergraduate student who's done significant coursework in education. Blaine is politically engaged and in everything Blaine does, looks for nuanced and engaging conversations. Hey, everybody, welcome. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Ryan Painter Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Painter. I'm so happy you are here. We're into the second week of December, and while work certainly seems to be slowing down, uh, shopping <laughs> is picking up. I was uh, in the mall today. I stopped by Indigo to do a little bit of shopping, um, not just because I love Indigo and I love the products, uh, but also um, inspired by Ezra Shankin, who is the CEO of the Jewish Federation of Greater Vancouver, was really encouraging folks to shop at Indigo because Indigo is under attack by pro-Hamas, anti-Jew, anti-Israel, anti-Semites, um, because the CEO is Jewish and the CEO is uh, a proud defender and supporter of Israel. And so I had uh, no problem going in there and dropping a couple hundred bucks um, for Christmas gifts for the family. A couple books for myself. I'm going to be going on holidays uh, in about, uh, what are we at here? I guess about six days, uh, five, six days. And uh, I got time to read. And so I've got a couple books I'm going to read um, and bought some little other kind of stocking stuffers. But Indigo is amazing. I, I love being in there. They had so many folks at the checkout. So the line, although I was in the line for about half an hour, it actually did move quickly based on how big the line was. And it was great to go there and to uh, just look around and see everything that's there. Indigo has just the most amazing array of not only books, but lots of lifestyle stuff and games. My wife is hugely into puzzles. So, you know, I got to, I got to get a puzzle and a cute little um, uh, dumpling shaped stress ball for her. Not because she's stressed, but because uh, the dumpling is really cute. And I thought it would be cute for her to have a little uh, dumpling squeezy ball on her desk at work. And I'm weird, whatever. Uh, I, th I think she'll like it. So it's, it's getting to, to the point where we're uh, winding down the work and we're wrapping up the year and a lot to be thankful for this year as we kind of look get into that season of celebrating coming together, celebrating family, celebrating the year that was. Um, lots of challenges and hardships for lots of different people this year, certainly in the Jewish community, um, but also just so much to be grateful for, to be surrounded by family, to be surrounded by friends. Um, to know that um, when there are challenging times, there are people that will reach out to you to comfort you, to support you. And even though we're in a time of incredible emotional, personal, real upheaval for people, and with there still being 138 hostages uh, in Hamas control from, from Israel, being able to reach out to my friends and loved ones in the Jewish community to support them is incredibly important, not just for them, but for me, I know I'm doing something worthwhile. I'm doing something good to call them or send a message, letting them know that I'm thinking about them and that they're not alone. And we're, we're in the middle of Hanukkah right now, the Hanukkah period. Um, so it's, it's even more important to do that, that, 
the 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 Hanukkah tradition of throwing off the the yoke of of Greek oppression, which is really what Hanukkah represents. If you don't know about Hanukkah, do a quick Google search and understand and find out what Hanukkah is all about. Uh, it's an important time, and you know I I talk and advocate a lot, uh, especially right now because it's so everywhere um, in defense of not just Israel, but in defense of my Jewish friends and loved ones. So I really do consider members of my family. I mean, these are people who I hold so near and dear and close to my heart. People who, even though they struggle and even though they face immense uh, challenges and threats to their very existence, have no problem going out of their way to serve their community and uplift others. And that's the kind of love and goodness that I've always tried to bring to the world and leadership I've always tried to bring to the world. I haven't ever met anybody who shows the kind of community leadership the way my Jewish friends do. It's, um, it's remarkable because when you compare that to the real threats that they're constantly under, uh, they have no qualms about shining their light to the world. And it's, it's remarkable. I got a lot of positive feedback about my most recent podcast with Joe from JSpace Canada. Folks um, emailing me and saying they really appreciated the perspective um, that was brought from that interview and that we were able to shine a light on a lot of things. Uh, so I appreciate all your feedback. Feel free to email me, ryan at ryanpainter.ca. I'd be more than happy to share your feedback on the episode if you have a specific uh, question, comment. Uh, or thought that you'd like to leave, I'd be happy to read that out on the episode. But today, I'm bringing to you a whole different topic. And I spoke with Blaine Badiak. If you don't know who Blaine Badiak is, Blaine is a uh, progressive conservative, lives in Alberta, Lethbridge, actually. And Blaine has been very public about her, uh, uh, her, desire to shed some light on the discussion around trans issues. And Blaine is a, a transgender person. Um, and she is a, a, a trans woman who really has no qualms about digging into some of the deep challenges of, of the trans rights and especially the parents' rights discussion. And it's really, it's quite refreshing to talk to someone from that community who has um, transitioned, perhaps that's not the right word to use, but in their allegiance from the the left, and we talk about this in, in our episode, but someone who is very much an NDP supporter, to someone who is not just a progressive conservative, but also a federal conservative, and who's aligned themselves very much with the conservative cause, but still finds themselves very comfortably in the conservative movement, not just in Alberta, which is the heartland of the conservative movement in Canada. And we often think the conservative movement in Canada is very exclusive, is a very anti-trans, anti-LGBTQ, anti-woman. And I hear that all the time, that the conservative movement is a uh, uh, an anti-woman movement. Well, it's not. Look at all the women who are in uh, the conservative movement, uh, including the premier of Alberta, Danielle Smith. Um, who really stole victory from the jaws of defeat in the most recent Alberta election, something that I think the NDP were roundly considered uh, uh, to be favorites to win with, with Rachel Notley. 
And Blaine is uh, very thoughtful in this discussion around parents' rights. And look, I won't I won't spoil anything because I want you to listen to the the discussion between her and I. But I want to contextualize this a little bit and kind of talk about my own evolution in this because when I came to the trans rights movement and 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 the space that I found myself in really became um I mean it, I've always been supportive of the LGBTQ community uh, my mom came out as a lesbian about I think five to seven years ago somewhere around there and I was so proud of her when she called me and and told me and she's been very public about this which again even more proud of her um she has an amazing partner um, now, Marianne uh, Legault, who is just wonderful. Uh, and I'm so grateful that mom has such a, a loving, caring, wonderful, fantastic partner in Marianne. But, um, you know, I've always been, uh, certainly as a progressive, someone who aligned himself with the LGBTQ cause and, and supporting uh, the rights of the LGBTQ community. Uh, certainly, um, gay marriage in 2005 was a tremendous victory. And as someone who saw himself on the progressive left, always championed uh, pushing those rights even further to ensure that trans people had rights in Canada, um, to ensure that the human rights of trans people were recognized. And my hats go, my my, my hats go off. My hat goes off. My hands. Go up to Randall Garrison, who's done incredible work nationally on trans rights and, and human rights for trans people. And certainly as a school trustee in the Greater Victoria School District, very publicly, outspokenly supportive of trans kids and feeling safe. And their place, not just in our communities, but in our schools. And when I ran for trustee in 2018, I was very publicly opposed to some of the things being said by Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson, who was a People's Party of Canada uh, uh, supporter, but very, very right-wing Christian. Uh, by the way, Christian doesn't necessarily mean that you're anti-trans or anti-LGBTQ. I'm Christian, and I'm completely supportive of the LGB LGBTQ community. But when I ran, um, I ran very much in opposition to the hateful things that I saw Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson saying about trans people, trans kids, trans ideology, quote unquote, because what I saw at the time was really a shroud of hate and misunderstanding in a lot of the things that were being talked about and being really brought up in a tradition in the left of even talking about these things is hurtful and offensive. So the best course of action when this kind of stuff comes up is to shut it down because you don't want to cause hurt. You don't want to cause uh, anger and offense and upset because folks in these communities have to deal with so much already. Why add the burden of more pain and frustration to their lives? So when I spoke out against Laura Lynn Tyler Thompson in 2018, it was very much of the stand against this kind of bigotry, call it out. And yeah, certainly at the time, even cancel it. And I think that message carried even further into the next year when there was a, uh, 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 
I'm not necessarily sure, sure if anti-trans is even the right word now, but I think I probably labeled it as that uh, Jen Smith came to Victoria and Jen was uh, doing this tour up and down Vancouver Island. And I didn't, I learned about this when I was at a meeting of school trustees in Vancouver during one of our, my very first annual general meeting as a, as a trustee with the BC School Trustees Association. And a bunch of fo- uh, other trustees from Vancouver Island saw this stuff circulating on Facebook with the posters um, talking about trans ideology and protecting kids from um, chemical castration and all this other kind of, in my opinion, extremely offensive language. Um, and were showing me this and I thought, well, I have to do something. So I started organizing a protest in Oak Bay because I discovered uh, eventually that this protest was going to be held at the Oak Bay Pavilion, um, right in the heart of Oak Bay. And so I organized a protest um, and was very public in the news and in media opposing Jen Smith, saying that what Jen was doing was hateful and that Jen should be uh, uh, opposed. I actually made efforts to try to get it canceled. I called the mayor, talked to um, folks in Oak Bay, was really pushing to have the whole event canceled. It wasn't. Jen Smith came. We had a huge protest outside. Randall Garrison was there. Morgan, uh, Morgan Auger, who's also a trans rights activist from Vancouver, was there. And we had a huge tournament. must have been 100, 100 people, some odd people there. And we had some speeches outside. And then folks went inside and managed to get the whole thing shut down. Police arrived. It was a, a bit of a bit of chaos, but it was it was relatively well managed. Um, we had people um, all over inside and the outside trying to make sure that everyone was calm and everything uh, uh, didn't get too out of hand. And, and it didn't get out of hand. The police were there as well. So things were well managed, in my opinion. And um, it's interesting because from that, uh, I actually, <laughs> Jen Smith tried to sue me uh, for uh, the commentary that I was using. It was thrown out of court, which is exactly what it should be because freedom of speech is freedom of speech. Um, just as Jen had the freedom of speech to say what Jen was saying, I also had the freedom of speech to say what I was saying. Um, so it's interesting because where I've come full circle in all of this is looking back at that, there were opportunities that people were approaching me with to actually debate Jen. And I turned them down because I didn't want to give airtime to Jen and uh, what Jen was trying to put out there in terms of Jen's anti, what I saw at the time as anti-trans bigotry. But as I reflect, you know... I'm getting to, to, to a point in my own life where I really, really am not, um, I'm not a person who thinks that canceling is right anymore. I don't know if this comes as a transition to, in, in my own kind of political beliefs, but I really regret the way I handled it back then during the the Jen Smith days. And let me be really specific what I mean by this. I wish at the time that I would have approached the whole thing differently. I wish I would have had an opportunity, offered an opportunity to sit down and have a discussion and a conversation with Jen. If I had had this podcast at the time, I would have invited Jen onto the podcast and had a conversation. 
Because I think where we've gone wrong, and the whole reason why I'm doing this podcast is to have conversations and to try to shut something down isn't the right way to go. Silencing and censorship is never the right way to go. I wish that I had approached it in a way, instead of trying to cancel the whole event, allow some conversation to happen. Because through those conversations can hopefully bring some enlightenment. And if it doesn't change any minds, at least we've had conversations. Now, look, I don't regret um, organizing the protest. I don't regret that at all. Um, the the event got shut down. That that happened as a result of people going in and expressing themselves, right? Like, that's not something I can um, necessarily oppose, but I, I do wish I would have approached it differently and approached it as an opportunity to have a conversation and to help people learn from that conversation. You don't change minds and you don't change opinions by canceling. In fact, all you're likely doing is, is creating resentment in community and pushing things underground is never the way to progress as a society. The best way is through bringing about conversations into the light of public scrutiny. And look, maybe I would have done a terrible job at the debate uh, or at the discussion. It doesn't necessarily need to be debate, but maybe I would have done a terrible job at the discussion. Maybe I wouldn't have handled well under the pressure. Who knows? Uh, maybe, you know, people would have found that Jen won the debate. Um, and that would have been, you know, a, a way that I would have undermined the entire cause. I mean, who knows, right? But at the end of the day, it's about having discussions and conversations, not canceling and not shutting people down. And I've also evolved significantly. And if you've been listening to this podcast, you'll know I'm completely opposed, as I as as you'll you'll hear in the conversation with me and Blaine, any child under the age of 18 undergoing any kind of surgery to change their gender. I don't think it's right. And I think parents need to be involved in these discussions and conversations because the more I read. And the more I listen, the more I learn about what some folks are facing and experiencing after these surgeries where you have men who discover well after these surgeries have taken place to transition them into women were never trans. They were gay. What a horrifying thing to have to realize that through the attempt to discover who you are and unbeknownst to you, you were pushed in a direction that caused you to completely change physically yourself. That's where I think some of the concerns that you hear around this chemical castration stuff comes in and look at, you know, I don't agree with the phraseology around that. I don't think it's accurate. I think using that kind of language just further torques this whole conversation, which is entirely too political. We're talking about people's lives. And I don't think that kind of political rhetoric ever helps when we're getting into the details about these kinds of discussions. But the reality is, is that there are people out there who have gone through gender transition and who have gone through transition surgeries who have resulted at the stage of their life when they've gone into their 20s. And they realize that they are not trans, that they are, in fact, gay or, or lesbian or bisexual. And it's incredibly disheartening to know that we're in a place where that's happening. 
And the way I think some of this could be resolved is by ensuring that parents are part of the conversation. We make this point in our discussion between Blaine and I, but parents know kids better than kids do. That's kind of a a controversial thing to say these days because we're in a, a place in the culture right now where kids need to be trusted for their feelings more than the adults around them. It's wild to think that because I have to be honest with you, even into my 30s, I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to do. And that's a very uh, uh, straight cisgender person, as they say. I can't imagine what it must be like trying to discover who you are in today's day and age in high school. And if you're not sure if you're gay, lesbian, bisexual, or transgender person, or maybe you don't fit that mold. Maybe you're a, a, a non-binary person as well. I think we need to allow space in schools for kids to find themselves without pushing them in a direction. And they need to discover and find themselves out and learn and move through that process without potentially inflicting life-altering, unchangeable impacts on them. And that really is, I think, some of the thrusts of the conversation I have with Blaine. It's a fantastic discussion, a fantastic conversation. And I really hope that you listen to the entire thing because we go pretty deep on some of this stuff. And it's some of the deepest I've gone uh, in conversations with folks around trans issues. So listen to the interview. And uh, if you've got thoughts about this, please email me, ryan at ryanpainter.ca, or you can check me out on Twitter, Ryan L. Painter is the handle. And uh, I'd love to hear what you think, because I think these conversations need to be had. And I'm never going, again, I'm never going to cancel somebody for having a difference of opinion with me. I'm not going to shut them down. I'm not going to berate them. I'm not going to belittle them. I'm open to opportunities to have conversations. I think we need to have them a whole lot more. And so here is the conversation with me and Blaine Badiak. Blaine, thanks so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Where uh, are you? Are you in Edmonton right now, or where, whereabouts are you? Uh, Lethbridge, Alberta. Lethbridge, right? Lethbridge, right? I think I should have should have remembered that. But for, for people outside of Alberta, sometimes, I mean, it's it's Edmonton or it's Calgary, and then outside of that, people don't really know. My, I mean, maybe Red Deer. If you were what, if you were a fan of. Um, Royal Canadian Air Force, maybe Mike from Canmore. <laughs> but I think beyond that, people don't really think too much about uh, other places. Like, tell us a bit about Lethbridge. Like, what's what's Lethbridge like? How long have you been there? Yeah, uh, Lethbridge, I've been here since fall 2019. I, I personally love it. Um, it's only two hours south of Calgary, so you're at most two hours. So very easily able to out of the bit city for anything you would need. It has most things you would need. Um, it's like a small town vibe with a lot of bit city amenities. And the weather here is phenomenal compared to the rest of the province. Um, it's December 1st and there's no snow. Um, and it's like very rarely, we haven't, maybe only had a couple of days below minus 10. So it's been much appreciated. I'm originally from Northern Alberta. 
so I'm used to weeks of minus 40 and lots of snow. So this is a very nice change. Without headphones. Sometimes I think the headphones works and then it doesn't. I hate listening. I hate doing Zoom anything with like headphones in. Um, <laughs> besides Twitter spaces. That's the one place where I'm like, headphones because I'm at home and just easy to go. But yeah, you want to you wanna, uh, uh, keep the peace as much as you can when but that's good right like that's that's part of why i started this podcast was really to um have more conversations around anything and everything and just to be unapologetically conversational i think we've really lost something um in in the body politic today and just kind of in 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 general, it doesn't even really need to be about politics, like, you know, whether it's about, um, you know, recasting characters in Disney movies and things like that. It's just so difficult to have conversations about stuff without feeling like you're being put in a box. You're either for or you're against. It reminds me of um, um, George Bush when uh, the, the war on terror happened and you're either with us or you're with the terrorists. And it's like, no, there's actually a lot of in between there, George. Like, <laughs> and so I, I wonder how, um, how you're finding things right now, especially, I know you've just come and say just, but about a month ago, you came out of the, um, uh, United Conservative Party, uh, uh, policy convention, if I remember properly. And, and I know you play quite a prominent role there around, um, some of the conversations around parental consent. We can get into all that stuff, but I feel like just kind of generally, um, how how are you managing uh, a lot of what kind of seems to be like just a really um, acute polarization, uh, not just in politics, but in everything? Yeah, it's, it's like, I think, possibly the top issue, I think, right now, is we're so polarized. And I think part of it um, is really like the social media algorithms and how it it drives you further and further into the echo chambers um and like tiktok is the worst for that um it actually is like some of the studies on the algorithms have have attended to psychological um, conditioning hmm. and you know and i think that's a real bit part of it and then through covid and some of the stay at home isolation we kind of just fell into our own echo chambers even more and then our politicians didn't help and chose to divide people. And so it's this becoming more and more generalizations. And what I try and do is I try and see people who they are. And I don't, you know, you label, if you call yourself a conservative, okay, that doesn't mean anything to me. What do you actually believe? You know, um, that's what I can help them is that every person has, you need perspectives, you need values. Um, and I just want to get to that rich discussion. And unfortunately, you know, that doesn't get promoted much on social media. Mm. I find like definitely DMs I can have real good discussions. But like just in the it's echo chambers. You post them and then it's well, everyone who agrees with it likes it or retweets it. Um What's that? And people don't often will heal from other sides too much. I had that conversation this morning with a, uh, a friend of mine who um, tends to find himself more on the 
green side of politics. And we were chatting about various issues, but uh, we were specifically talking about nuclear. Um, I don't know if you know or not, but nuclear in BC and uranium mining in BC is illegal. It was made illegal in 2010 um, by the then uh, BC Liberal government, now the BC United Party. Or sorry, BC United. I'm not supposed to say BC United Party because party isn't actually in their name. They are BC United. That'll be that'll be a thing, I'm sure, uh, if it isn't already. And um, we were kind of talking about echo chambers and how um, it's 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 funny because we all talk about these echo chambers. We all acknowledge that there's echo chambers out there, and yet we're still engaging in the fora where these echo chambers are the most acute. And is it because we're trying to make it better? Is it because we can't pull ourselves away? Because that's these are the like the Twitters and the TikToks um, are are the water coolers of of our society right now. Like, why do you think it is that we can't pull ourselves out of these things when we readily acknowledge that they are causing the enhanced toxicity that we're experiencing? Well, I think part of it is that. For many people, they don't think that they are part of the toxicity. So <laughs> it's like it's not me; it's them, and so I'm contributing. And I I'm at fault for that. I think sometimes I go on these, you know, down these rabbit holes on Twitter, and I think I'm trying to do good, and then you know I look back at it a week later. I'm like, maybe I shouldn't have went down that hole. Um, so I think that might be part of it. It's it's addictive. I mean, mm-hmm. we all know that. Um, mm-hmm. and there's that desire. Um, and it's like, it's ingrained to so much of, um, sorry, that so much of our lives is consumed by social media, one way or the other. Um, one, one of the platforms, it, it's really hard to, I guess, function in, a, in the world without it. Um, because we so wild. It. it's so wild that that's I don't disagree with you but I just think that's just such a crazy statement because like 10 or 20 years ago that wouldn't have been the case and I mean perhaps I'm being a little flippant because I'm sure people thought before radio that everything was fine but once radio came around you know we can't live without radio and the same thing with television and print journalism and all that I mean there's always modes of communication that that change but but this just seems so that's such a weird thing to think like could we i couldn't live without it <laughs> not really thought about it until you just said it like wow like picture not living with this stuff it's but you're right it's so ingrained in our culture in our society and everything that we do that's kind of depressing <laughs> yeah it is i mean i it's just it's so such big part of all lives and i know even for me um, that I jokingly say Twitter's a part-time job for me. Um, and, it's, <laughs> and it doesn't pay um, well. <laughs> no, not yet. Uh, I haven't um, been able to monetize yet. But um, yeah, it's its own. And so I don't think we could go back. I much prefer trying to meet people in person and uh, or in anything where we can have more of a long-form discussion. But um, it's a new, it's a new world. It, it is. And, you know, it, it, there does not seem to be an issue that can come up 
today that that isn't extremely polarized here in victoria um there's a um in centennial square there's a fountain that's been here since like the 50s 60s it's like an art deco revival kind of fountain um and there's discussion uh about turning it into a more accessible public space getting rid of the fountain maybe turning it into kind of a splash park water park and while part of all this conversation is also happening around what that space has kind of turned into because it's used by a lot of people who um, use um, either alcohol or or they're addicted to drugs or or something it, it, it the space is very much I would I would feel very comfortable saying people feel that that space is not public anymore um, it's been lost and so there's a desire to try to reshape it change it into something that's more accessible um, but you have folks who are arguing well you know this is an art piece that's been here for a really long time and it was commemorated and dedicated by the artist who's i think since passed away but don't quote me on that <laughs> um and you have the other side saying well we really need to revitalize this space to use it and it's it's um you know the people who say well, we really need to keep this fountain are also saying well you're not really doing the work to uh, address the opioid epidemic you're just trying to do something to push people away or or what I mean there's all kinds of different sides in this stuff I never would have thought that a fountain would cause such a deep polarization and anger and animosity but at the same time that's just what you're seeing on Twitter I often like do we make way too much out of what's happening there and is is it is it is it a window into the 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 people who are engaged and not necessarily society at large? Because if it was, I I wonder if it would have much less power. Um, I don't know if we just I guess we can't really turn it off, but I, I don't know. I feel like it's 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 not really. I guess I guess the point I'm trying to make is it doesn't seem like it's reflective of the broad society, just those who are using it, which. You know, most people are working nine to five and they're not thinking about what's happening on Twitter and it just doesn't matter to them. No, I agree. Um, it's not, I mean, we have what? We have 40 million people in this country and I don't even know how many Twitter users total though is. Like, there's no way most, the vast majority of chains are not on Twitter. Um, I'll just look that up. I'm curious. You know, um, eight million apparently eight million canadians use twitter so like what let's like take 20 percent maybe use twitter not active users that's um, right that's what i was gonna say yeah it's not active they're just they're, they have an account or they're using it and so i think and what's gonna be interesting over the next um year or so as bill c18 goes into implementation and we see we've seen meta block news on their mm -hmm. sites um how that's changing the session because i know before i would post news articles on my facebook and we'd have some interactions but now that's all gone and so is it now becoming well twitter's the only one where you can discuss these types of things um or tiktok or whatever one you can talk new about news it's not it's going to be interesting to see what that, where that trend takes us, um, which I don't know that's good or bad, but then you have, you know, the Twitter. And because of those echo chambers, you kind of only ever hear the news that you want, you don't hear the other side. Mm -hmm. And I think, and there's a handful of 
uh, Twitter followers that I have that I respect greatly. And, you know, they said some people just need to go out and touch grass. And I, um, <laughs> so sometimes, I agree. sometimes I need to do that um, because it's not real life. Um, and... Do you force yourself to engage in people who disagree with you? Because it's something that I do. Like, I, I really try to, and it's, again, we talk about echo chambers, but I try to force myself to engage with folks who have a different perspective. And I'm going to say, I'll be very honest, I don't seek out the most toxic because there's a lot of them out there. Um, but I will try to engage with folks who have a different perspective. And I will try to do that dialoguing with them. Is that is that something that you find yourself doing? Or is that just like too Somewhat. difficult and too emotionally stressful? Somewhat. Um, it just so happens that I cultivated this hodgepodge. I mean, I I have uh, followers and friends from across the political spectrum. Um, and I do that very purposefully. One, because like my close friends are some of the best people I believe on this planet, but because I don't want to be just be surrounded by people who all agree with me. Uh, right. I want people who we can have disagreements. And what I find most common, I mean, especially right now when we talk about trans issues um, and when you need to move it off the public and we can move it into a DM and we have long form conversation, we can actually have a nuanced discussion um, that where we both come to, where we both see, well, we probably agree on 90% of this, then it's on these things that we disagree with and we can have this discussion on trying to find what's an acceptable middle ground. Um, and I think that should be updated elsewhere if we're willing to have these discussions and realize um, you know, that we don't actually disagree on my, many things. I think for most Canadians, actually, we want the same ends. It's how we get there. It's the means to that that really differs. Hmm. Um, I have my perspective on how I think some things would get us closer to there, while others would be like, well, we should do it this way. And at the end of the day, we kind of want the same thing for the most part. Not on every issue, but I find right. that more frequently than not. I I um I was at the ledge yesterday here in Victoria meeting with um. Uh, Renee Merrifield, who's uh, a Kelowna MLA from BC United. She said the same thing, actually. She said, you know, I think the majority of us probably agree on 80 to 90% of things. And we're probably, the majority of us, probably mostly in the middle. Middle or a bit on the right, but on the left. And I think historically, if you look at our politics, if you look at our elections, um, the elections results pretty much bear that out. I mean, Canada is a very middling country when it comes to who we elect. Uh, and there are pendulum swings, as there always are. But I, I don't think we're a country that really opens itself up to radical policy swings. We really like that sweet spot in the middle. Um, and you'll find that politicians, even within elected governance, are often guided not as much, I would say, by their political party, but by kind of the winds uh, of, of the public and where are they where's the public is the public happy if i push the public too far here then i'm maybe going a little bit too far right and i think with the issue of something around parental rights and trans rights i think that's kind of it's interesting because it it's it's something that i've experienced a bit of an evolution in uh in my own um belief system activism 
Um, and it's something I have conversations with, but <laughs> you know, I don't know about, I don't know how familiar you are with, with Victoria, but, um, I've had conversations with folks who do not want to have discussions about this stuff in public in Victoria, because they feel that if there's even a wind of a conversation about this, that comes back to them, they'll be ostracized. And so they're terrified about having public chats about this. Um, and so the conversations that I have are typically through DM or on a phone call or um, a beer somewhere far away from wherever anyone's congregating. Um, and what a sad state of affairs that we've gotten to where we're worried about being canceled for having a discussion. I just can't, I don't cotton to that. That's just, it's a bizarre way to be. Uh, I, coming from your perspective, um, what are your thoughts on, on, I mean, we can dig into this now and I'm happy to, but just on having the conversation, what has that meant for you as someone who's actually like not only personally touched by, by the, by this issue of, of trans rights, but actually trying to have a conversation where to me, it looks like you're trying to bridge divides and that can't be easy. No, it's, it's a challenge, but it's, it is, I think like the most important challenge uh, that I'm faced with right now to bridge this divide because we can, we can find a pathway forward that accomplishes all that we want. Um, I, I, as a trans woman, I do not believe it is transphobic to raise questions. Asking questions should not get you canceled. We should welcome the opportunity to have discussion. And it's very often that um, it's actually straight people who then call straight um, biological, like biologically congruent um, gender, uh, cisgendered, if you want to use that term, um, who actually then claim that somebody's being transphobic. It's mm -hmm. Not actually often someone from the trans community who's like, oh, you're being transphobic. And that needs to stop. Um, we can advocate for mostly for ourselves. We do need allies. Um, but that means giving us the space to have um, these discussions and this, yeah, the space to do that. And so I welcome these types of discussions because it's, it's an important conversation to have. And we... You know, specifically on, um, you know, the bid one is parental notification of pronoun changes, name changes, schools. And like, well, I come from is like, yeah, parental notification is vitally important. I mean, it's parents are the primary caregivers to their kids. Um, they know their kids well as a future mom. Um, I will be the biggest mama bear out there. Um, well, of course, I want to know what's going on in my kids lives how well i'm going to have that relationship with my kids well they are comfortable enough to come tell me anything um well it shouldn't be a surprise and so what i really want to see is to have the kids who come out with these things and we have a discussion about everything to do with you know is the children who are trans etc um but anyone who does want to present a different pronoun or a name, I want to have that kid have that confidence to tell their parents. It shouldn't be another adult telling parents like, oh, your your child wants to use this. No, 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 
that child needs to have that conversation with their parents. What they need is they need support. Um, and that's really where I think we can, well, the, the school system can step in is to kind of help mediate that discussion and to be in the room to, you know, help cover any discussions points and to help that kid to express themselves uh, to their parents about these things and to start that conversation. You were, um, you're quoted in the Edmonton Journal um, around the, the policy convention and specifically the, the resolution about consent, um, arguing that the policy uh, might lead to enhanced parental involvement, but it shouldn't come at the cost of vulnerable kids. And you're quoted as saying this policy divides kids and their parents. Um, so in your mind, what's what's the right middle ground here? Because I hear, I hear, and you've heard it too, um, but for our listeners, I mean, I'll hear, you hear both sides of this where you should say, absolutely, at every point, there should be parental involvement. Parents should always know what's happening with their kids. And, and I think you've said it, parents know their kids. Um, and oftentimes parents will know their kids better than the kids know themselves. Um, for, it, you know, it was certainly the case for me to a, to a point. Um, and then you have the other side where it should be, um, this is the right of the child. Parents should never be involved because it's the kid's decision. And I've often found that with a lot of these things, you take the extremes and then find the middle, and that's probably the sweet spot. Um, so I'm I'm guessing that that's where you're aiming at. So what is that middle ground? Or maybe I'm putting words in your mouth. Yeah, well, there is a middle ground, I think. I think, you know, when I, when I see a blanket policy that says, uh, any student under the age of 16 needs parental permission to use a different name or pronoun in school. Um, well, blanket policy doesn't cover it because these are very nuanced situations. These are individuals um, who have unique things. Um, trans people, we made up a very small portion of the population. Um, and in schools, that would be an even smaller proportion. And there is some bit of issues with um, this new, I don't want to say trend, but um, there's more people who are claiming to be trans than they actually are. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a bitter issue with the move to self-ID and everything. Mm -hmm. But what, you know, what some things that I would like to see in a policy would be, um, you know, if a child comes forward and says, I would like to use, you know, these different pronouns, well, then it's, well, well, well don't I have to confirm with your parents and see how that, yes, if the kid's worried, well, then it should immediately go to uh, mental health professionals, mm -hmm. um, psychologists, counselors, social workers, um, teachers, as I used to be in the education program, mm -hmm. um, almost, almost a full sort of ID show. And I, Based on practicum, I was actually would be certified, um, but that's a caveat. But um, we're not trained to do all this. Um, teachers have a million one jobs. Um, this is not formal training in being a social worker or counselor and trying to do these mediation discussions. And teachers do a very good job now trying to mediate that. Um, but we can do way better if we give kids um, support. And that's a that's a huge investment in mental health supports um, mm -hmm. into the schools in order to do this. 
um, with the goal of their child informing their parents and thus the parents being notified slash given consent to use um, alternative name or pronoun. Um, now, and so that's what most of what I would like to see. I think age plays a role in that. There's a big difference between a six-year-old and a 15-year-old. Mm-hmm. And under a policy that says, everyone under the age of 16, you treat them all the same. And that's not reality. Um, somebody, I mean, a child under the age of 12 um, might show signs of uh, gender congruence, um, but that doesn't mean no trans at all. And I think any kid who comes forward and says, you know, I'd like New Zealand phones, that doesn't mean they're trans automatically. Mm-hmm. Um, it's part of those self-identification, self-discovery that we all went through. We all go through in our teenage years, fitting out who we are, fitting out our identity. Um, just because you want to use the phone does not mean that you are trans. And I think what what's happened um What's happened is we've now went to this new extreme where we used to have these very rigid gender norms. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went, we allow some more flexibility. And now we went to this extreme where if a child shows um, opposite gender norms to themselves, so, you know, if what you would used to be taught a tomboy, um, mm-hmm. and then, well, now it's question, well, well, then you might be a trans boy. No, you're just, you might just be gender non-conforming. You might just be introduced to your gender. You might be expressing your gender in a different way. We shouldn't be pushing kids into these boxes. We have to let kids be kids. It's and interesting just, you uh, say that because I, I don't mean to, but it, it, a friend of mine um, who I had a conversation about this with said, if you have an emotional, a very emotionally sensitive boy, who is maybe exhibiting some of that um, extreme emotional sensitivity, as I did growing up, uh, you know, give him, give him, a, give him a paint set, let him paint, give him art, give him a guitar, give him something. Uh, and if you have a, a, a girl who wants to play hockey, give her, give her hockey pads and skates, you know, let's not just automatically start pushing kids towards, oh, you're, you're a trans, because that in and of itself is... And, and I've seen, um, and, and you'll know about this, this isn't new, but th- there are certainly instances where um, gay men or uh, lesbians have been pushed into uh, identifying as trans and going as far as getting uh, quote unquote gender confirmation and then discovering later on, well, in fact, I- I'm a gay man or I'm a lesbian, I'm not trans, but now there's no going back. Yeah, and that's, and that's why this is such a delicate issue, and we need to be extremely careful with it. And I think the biggest thing that we need to do is to, you know, um, support the kids when they come out and say this. You know, just because you want to use well, opposite pronouns doesn't mean you're trans. It means you're trying to fit out your identity and fit out who you are. That initial social transition doesn't mean anything else it should not lead directly to medicalization and that's a bit of a discussion um, well but i i want to i want to go into that a bit a bit though because i i do think that that's an important part of the discussion um because you I, I do have conversations every day with people who are 
they range from progressive to conservative who vehemently disagree with medicalization. Uh, and I don't use this language. I just want to be very clear. But there's certainly some on the right who call it chemical castration. And I, I hate using that language because it is intended to be shocking. Um, I understand that there are some who genuinely feel this way. I, I get that. And that's why I try not to be judgmental. But I also, you know, let's let's use language that perhaps doesn't isn't so immediately jarring for folks. But we'll put that aside for a second. I I I, I think there is increasing broad agreement, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You'll probably know better than me. That moving so quickly at such a young age towards the medicalization, towards taking um, hormone replacement therapy or or puberty blockers or all this other stuff at such a young age, is not in the best interest of these young kids who are trying to discover who they are. Yeah, um, what, it's very, it's a very nuanced discussion, I think. Um, you know, and there's a range of opinions and perspectives on this. Um, I mean, I'm very firm, I think, I mean, 18 plus, you are an adult, you can do what you want and what your doctors believe is best. I think, you know, when we talked about minors, but then we have this variability and these levels of things. So on one hand, I believe that like the the child, the teen, age in question, the doctor, those psychologists and their parents are in the best position to make these decisions. Um but I want it to be I would want it to be all four, um, if they're agreeing to something like this. Um but you know, we sometimes we've now pushed it too soon. So some like benchmarks, I've always said, I am opposed to an outright ban on it. Um, I can understand where that's coming from. I would want to install safeguards into place to protect kids and ensure that only those who absolutely need it are dead in this. Um, I'm firmly against um, gender affirmation surgeries for minors. Um, and I believe that for all teenagers, no girl, whether it's a trans girl or a biological girl, should be allowed to breast augmentation until they're over 18. Um, it's a blanket. Well, I don't, you can wait. There's no need for that. So you have absolutes um, in some cases, but not, yeah. it's not, you're, you're, like you're saying, you're being nuanced about it. Yeah. yeah. So surgeries, you know, those can wait. When we talk about um, HRT, um, there might be a role um, for that um, for some teenagers to start on to i would i believe like you know as i said the doctors the parents psychologists would be in the right position to help determine that um i never wanted to be able to be done without parental consent mm -hmm. um definitely not um until 18 and then you know you can do it well with um with doctors consent and um, and the role of psychologists and possibly psychiatrists in that, um, but especially for for kids and teenagers specifically. Um, mm -hmm. No, I mean, there was this story of this 10-year-old in Manitoba, and I don't know other details, but mm. no, there's no, you haven't even started puberty yet. Um, <laughs> I, 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 have, I have some concerns with that. Yeah. So what I would like to see is some safeguards put into place, and that's a discussion um, from within the medical community and um, the psychologists and and parents. Um, and, you know, I think trans people can have a role in that as well. 
to understand why. You know, as a trans woman, I because I went through partial male puberty, I have a lower voice than uh, any uh, biological woman. Um, and that that will talk me for a, a long time. And there's many other aspects of mine because I had to go through that aspect that, you know, we, if I would have had the opportunity to be puberty blockers and prevented that, then would have been a different outcome. But would, have, would that have been the right outcome? I don't know. I can't play hypotheticals like shoulda, coulda, woulda. <laughs> yeah. Hindsight being what it is. But I mean, being knowing yourself and knowing where you're at now and where you've come from and, and what you've gone through, none of it being easy. Um, would you say back then, and again, hypotheticals are always difficult. So for, forgive me for putting you on the spot. But would you say back then that it would have been reasonable for you to want to start HRT or, or puberty blockers or, or however it is. And, and forgive me, I don't know which is which um, for, for who, but to, to have that conversation with your mom or with your dad or with your doctor or parent or guardian, and that that is, is a reasonable thing to do because that really does appear to be quite a bit of concern that these decisions are being made in schools by teachers without parental involvement, without doctor's involvement. And, and I don't think that that's accurate because, and again, I don't know, but I'm sure that there's not a lot of kids out there. In fact, I would be surprised if there were any who are having surgery or who are being put on hormone replacement or puberty blockers without consent and discussion with a doctor. Am I naive there? Well, I mean, a doctor has to prescribe the meditation. So, I mean, it would have to be a doctor. Um, I, I believe there's no case where it's not parental consent. Um, but if it is, I would need, that's a full stop in my opinion. Mm. Um, because no, um, you do need that. Um, I want, I want, said, I want safeguards in place. So, so you're, so you're saying in order for someone who's under 18 to move forward with that kind of, um, uh, uh, process or procedure, parental consent is a must. Yeah, well, yeah, to move forward to, it's, it's a, there is permanent aspects to HRT. There mm -hmm. was, it was a really bad push to saying that puberty blockers were fully irreversible mm -hmm. or fully reversible. They're not, there is aspects that are reversible. My doctor was very clear with me what, before I started on what happened and I took necessary steps um, to protect what I wanted um, and before doing that but I was an adult and able to fully think about what I wanted um and so because of that I want those safeguards in place and things like showing um signs of gender dysphoria for multiple years right um and so it's having, not just I feel some way for one month all right mom yeah. let's let's go talk to a doctor and get get on HRT and not just a doctor it needs to be a psychologist right uh, as well it is being trans is not an identity it is a medical condition um that may like, has, like the transsexual community uh lives with and we treat it with transition um because we have a we have diagnosed gender dysphoria um in the past would have been um gender identity disorder sexual dysphoria um 
depending on you know which dsm and everything is that choose. a perspective that's universally held blaine because i feel like i feel like that that isn't a perspective that's universally held no it's that, not yeah which it's, which I, I mean you may be one of the first people to actually i have a discussion with who's actually said that um out loud which is um i'm not going to say shocking but it, it's certainly interesting to, to look at that perspective so um, what makes you say that? And because it does seem to be a bit of a departure from, I guess, the generally accepted norms about uh, transgender identity is that, you know, well, this is my identity. So this is the way I'm going. You're saying, no, it's not. It's a medical condition where transition is the, uh, the, the therapy for it. Well, I mean, historically, so like specifically trans women, um, we've existed forever. Um, there was, um, there was connections you can make to our, um, that, um, uh, there was, we kind of existed in like the time of Jesus, 2000 years ago. And before that, um, very differently mm. because the medical stuff was, there was very differently, but mm. like transsexuals, transsexual women existed for over a century. Um, and for the most part, we integrated into society just fine. Um, it was when the removal of some medical gatekeeping and the move to self-identification um, just really in the past less than decade where we're starting to really see some of these newer issues at play. Um, I... Um, yeah, I view it as a medical mental health condition that it, the treatment is to transition, uh, medically transition. Um, and there's a growing group of um, trans people who believe in this, um, who mm -hmm. believe in that perspective um, because it's trying to acknowledge facts and not just identity it it's part of why um like it's been lgbt for so long because it's being lesbian gay bisexual it's quarter who you are mm -hmm. um it's not an identity it's who you are hmm, interesting trans is quarter who you know it's not an identity um i would love to be able to fully um, pass and fully integrate into society and no one ever know I'm trans. That used to be the goal mm -hmm. was to pass and integrate. Right. That used to be the universal goal. Um, and for some of us, it very much still is. It is my constant goal. Um, but it's kind of moved away for, with an expansion and self-ID and then some of the other things that have fallen into the umbrella of being trans. It's interesting. You're, you're, you're giving me some really interesting thoughts here because you, I look at, I'm a, I've been exposed to a little bit of the desire for LGB to be kind of hyped off from the T, right? Like there's that move to have LGB on its own kind of categorization or, or, or as you rightly say, that core who you are, you have the, the T Q I plus or, or whatever be be off in a different space and 
within that group, it does seem to be very much, well, you know, we have, you know, those of us who are lesbian, gay, bisexual, we are very clearly core to who we are and this transgender thing who some folks on that side would say, and I, and I think maybe you're kind of alluding to this, those who are pushing it more as an identity ideology, as opposed to an actual core to who you are, a, me a medical uh, thing in which transition is, is an aid to that. But even within the trans community, it seems like you're saying there's there's even debate amongst yourselves in terms of um, how to categorize, how to have these discussions about where, where you fit within the LGBT, LGBTQ, all of those kinds of things. And it sounds like you're, uh, and I don't mean to say this as if it's something conscious, but it, it's, uh, uh, or unconscious, but you're very much kind of positioned in, in a place where saying, no, you know, that it's not what's being kind of popularly portrayed out there. Um, by a lot of perhaps well-meaning people. In fact, this is something that is really important. It is really medically um, uh, 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 important to understand and conceptualize where there needs to be parental involvement, there needs to be psychological doctor involvement, and there needs to be a lot more care placed around this than what's currently being done. Because at this point, it's just, it's very political. Um, and the more it's politicized either by the right or by the left, I would posit, the less genuine care and concern there are for people who are dealing with this. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah, the more that's politicized and the more both sides push, the less, um, one, the less space for us in the community to actually speak about it, there is. Um, because we'll, you know, we're being pushed into one side or the other, and it's not. It's this very, this issue in particular, it's so nuanced, and it's not a one-size-fits-all all the time. Did you and... ever imagine that you'd be put in the position where you are right now, where you're, you're kind of, uh, it, it seems like you're, you're. I don't know, like, well, how, how do you, I, mean, I don't want to tell you how, where the place that you're in. I want you to tell me, but did you ever envision yourself being where you are? in this space where you're trying to bring some reasonable, medically focused, conscientious thought to this discussion? No, um, really never did. I mean, um, it's a common, you know, thing among most uh, specifically trans women. I know um, I'm not friends with many trans men, but mm. um, I'm sure it's kind of similar. It's, you know, there's those signs looking back young at the time did we know that was the signs no but we knew something was up um and what it was we don't know and eventually say like, oh yeah it's it's this um and unpacking that with counseling with psychologists um and moving towards that really bad i mean and said that i have had you know a lot of great people um reach out to me um, just in the past probably six months, six months to a year, um, who taught me some of like the history um, and some of the facts. And that's really made me realize some of what has happened. And it's, hmm. it goes along with my, like more my, my political transition over time where, you know, um, there's so much, um, group think on the left and you have to all agree with this you cannot have a discussion on that um, and I do that's fundamentally antithesis to who I to what I believe 
I believe in conversation. I believe in discussions. Um, and that's, you know, that aligns with my political transition more to now being on the right. I, I want to talk about that, actually, because you and I have had, uh, although different reasons, but we've had a similar experience where we both came from the NDP and um, you've moved to the right. I don't know where I am. I'm maybe in the middle. Uh, I have no idea. Um, but kind of similarly, um, I, I would I would suggest um both became very disillusioned with uh the i think you correctly call it groupthink um echo chamber the uh demand for adherence to one way of thinking that exists within the ndp um and uh it it is something that i whinged against for i mean i was in the party for 22 years um and I was, you know, on the executive level, federally and provincially, and I was a campaign manager going all over the country. And it's just something that after a while, I just couldn't manage it anymore. So I'm curious about you and how you found yourself in that political um, uh, uh, shift of your, your beliefs. I, I want to suggest that perhaps your values didn't change, because that's kind of how I feel. I feel like my values didn't change. I just felt that the place where I was putting those values had shifted, but I'm, I'm interested in what you think and how you feel. That's, that's definitely part of it. One thing I did um, is I went and I found the, like the vote campus from all the prior federal elections. <laughs> oh yeah. Right. And I answered the questions almost the same way each time. I mean, the questions were different, but I answered them pretty much the same way how I answer them today. And I slowly saw my dog move further to the right. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of the political spectrum how it's interesting shifted. interesting i came into politics interest really interested in politics in 2011 ish um i really loved what jack layton had to say mm -hmm. um i grew up poor with practically a single mom and for the last few years of my child as a single mom um and so when he was talking about things like cutting you know gst on home heating and cutting um, expenses, um, you know, credit card fees, um, phone payments, like real, you know, real core issues. And, you know, every stuff, stuff, like stuff yeah. that people deal with every single day that can actually positively affect people's lives. Yeah. You know? Like, you know, every family having a family doctor because <laughs> I, I, I lived in, in Northern Alberta, Grand Prairie at the time. We had a family doctor shortage back then and they still do now. And it's just on worse. So like these things kind of was core to what I really believed in. And so then I, I drove into more NDP ideology. I never joined the party, mm. um, but I, I joined various parties over the years to be involved in leadership races. Mm. But it was after the 2015 election federally, um, well, I that was my first time ever voting. And uh, I did vote for Mulcair. Mm -hmm. And the NDP, um, I voted in, in my northern Alberta riding, so 72% conservative. <laughs> but, you know, I felt in that election, yeah. Um, and I was young. I was, as I said, that was, was my first time voting. I was 18. Mm -hmm. um, I felt Harper needed to go. High, what hindsight is, you know, 2020, but, um, and I just didn't trust Trudeau. And I felt Mulcair had a better plan for the country. Mm -hmm. Um, and then we saw over four years, 
what the Liberal Party did, and specifically being in Alberta and seeing what, what they've done, it was like, no. And then the NDP went really down to a, they, they went even fuller left and they drove into this, I don't even know what to label it. Um, at the federal level it's just the it's the full embrace of identity politics is what happened and it's something that you you're you're right like it's hard to to put a a beat on in it but that's what it was um uh and i don't know if it was right when jugmeet came in or if it was just shortly after but it's absolutely what happened the party embraced identity politics and i feel like it's because they were really kind of embracing this university leftist um uh, uh perspective of things primarily i think in ontario who were really kind of driving this identity focused um uh performative uh deference to folks who have identity it, it's it's this binary of there's the oppressor and then there's the oppressed and that's it that's all that exists and and that's just not how the world is it's not and that's you know this cheap push and that's i didn't align with it um, and it was interesting because then provincially we had the Alberta NDP in power, and that's very different from the federal party. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know where actually Rachel Notley fits, but she, o- over the four years, she became more and more, she different from a centrist perspective mm-hmm. um, because we had the new united right that was pushed. And so like provincially, I was a Rachel Notley New Democrat in 2019. Mm-hmm. That was, yeah, 2018. Um, federally, there was no way I could vote for Jagmeet since NDP. Um, and um, yeah, I, I said who I voted for, but I didn't vote for Andrew Sheer either. I just, I didn't trust him. He was a little too SoCon-ish mm-hmm. for me. Um, you know, but I had kind of firmly moved to the centrist. I declared myself to be a radical centrist at that time. <laughs> That's a good and, one. I like that. Radical yeah. centrist. That's good. And then, you know, during the pandemic um and seeing um the what i saw at the federal level some of the trampling of rights Mm -hmm. um and seeing this division it really pushed me to think about what do i value most and for me you know being as a being a trans woman, I was free to be who I am. Mm-hmm. That's vital to who I like. I believe in freedom. Well, mm-hmm. so that's why I believe in Alberta and I believe in Canada because mm-hmm. we value this freedom. Well, at least we Very did. Very well said. Very well said. And, and so over the time, I was like, well, now I'm kind of fitting more in the conservative party. And so at the federal level, we had that leadership race after Aaron O'Toole. And O'Toole did something really important for many things, he expanded the party um, in such a way so that people like me specifically could finally see themselves in that party. Mm-hmm. Um, How did he do that, Blaine? Many, um, I think many ways, he he purposely tried to push an expansive conservative party to more mm. themselves as conservative, to focus on issues and not um, and really pushed away from some of the SOCON issues. Mm. Um, and frankly, having, um, I always, uh, you know, love um, Hannah Holton, who ran in Victoria. Right. Yes, of course. Yeah. The first trans person to ever run for the sort of party federally. Um, and 
any work I do, I stand on her shoulders. I mean, she yeah, shadowed yeah. too many last year to that though. No kidding. And it's those types of actions um, that finally span the party. Well, mate, I could potentially see myself in there. And, and then I joined in the leadership race to vote. Um, I did not vote for Pierre Polyev um, mm -hmm. in the end, but I've come around to him and I really love him now. Um, and I also joined the, the UCP in our leadership race after Kenny chose to leave. Um, I also didn't vote for Smith, but uh, <laughs> I've come around to it as well. Um, I will say my ballot, I posted my ballot publicly that my top three who I voted right. for. Um, and I will say publicly now, Smith was my number four. I didn't put that at the time because it was controversial, but yeah. I did put her above. Yes, I put her above Taves. Which because... I think is saying a lot because if you had her at number four, but now you've really warmed to her, it means she had room to grow. And in fact, she did grow for you. Yeah. Um, and hmm. so, yeah. And so like federally, I, I've really, you know, over the time and, there's this new kind of push among both Pierre and Danielle, um, Premier Smith, I should actually say, um, for this a freedom, very central to what it is, and um, being compassionate conservatives. Mm -hmm. And that really rings true to what I believe in. I'm, And what I realize and what I believe in, I believe in economic conservative values. Um, I do believe that less government in the economy um you know lower taxes does produce better wealth um for everyone and a better quality of life mm -hmm. um but socially i'm a libertarian i want mm -hmm. less government involved in my personal life mm -hmm. i don't believe you know you know especially as a german i don't want the government telling me what i can and cannot do um especially as an adult um but same i don't want government telling me I have to be vaccinated or not, um, who I have to marry, who I have to pray to. I don't that I don't want the government involved in those aspects of my life. Freedom is freedom, um, like period. Yeah. It's not freedom in this case, but not freedom in this case for you. Yeah. And so I found myself more and more in conservative circles and my Twitter following um, became more and more and so I still have, I still, you know, I'm followed by some new Democrats still, and I follow them back and make mm -hmm. discussions. Um, Don't get me wrong. There's excellent people in all of the parties. And yeah, I'm going to even include the People's Party of Canada in that, because I know some folks who are in the PPC <laughs> here in Victoria. They're great people. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and this is part of the problem, just because you have a party membership or you belong to a party, it doesn't mean that you agree with 100% of what that party espouses. A lot of joining politics is aligning yourself with the party that you think best represents you. It doesn't mean that you're going to agree with every single thing. But I feel like, again, in our kind of going full circle to our the, how we started this in the age of polarization, when you align yourself in one direction, it means you align with 100% of what's there. And that's just not true. We're as human beings, we're far too nuanced to be put in that kind of corner where we have to make excuses for things that we don't agree with. It's okay to align with a party and disagree with some of those things. Now, if you end up disagreeing with a whole lot of them, well, it may be time to move. So I really value the fact that you 
are quite open about saying, yeah, I've got people from all, all across the spectrum who I talk to. I've got folks here in, in the NDP in Victoria who I talk to, liberals, conservatives. And that's something I've all, you know, when I was elected to a school board here and I was the school board chair, it was the same thing. I had, <laughs> I had donors from across the political spectrum in my campaign. And it's because I've always been first and foremost about talking and having conversations. Um, and I'm really happy to hear that you've, it seems that you found a place where not only was there space open for you to be who you are proudly, but a space for you to have dialogue and conversations. You're not being tokenized. You're actually there because you want to be there and you can engage and be part of those conversations. Uh, I hope that that's uh, fulfilling for you because it should be for anybody who's in politics. Yeah. Really exactly. I, I, that's what, you know, that's what I really love about most conservative circles is there's no totalization. Um, we, in fact, like we all antithesis to it. And <laughs> that's true. So it's, you know, anything I get within conservative circles is on my own merit. Um, and it's through discussions and dialogue. Um, like in Alberta, um, you know, I was very public in the 2023 election. I had a hard time choosing who to vote for. And there was some issues at play well, I eventually did end up voting for Rachel Notley's New Democrats. Mm -hmm. um, once again, because she did present as the more centrist version. Um, but I mean, I've said today, if an election was held today, I would gladly vote for Daniel Smith's UCP 100%. Um, I would, I've already committed I'd be, I'm, be helping campaign um, for one of my writings here because I believe in one of the potential candidates so much. Um, and Practically, I mean, the UCP will likely be the governing party for a decade or more in this province. Um, and so it is the party um, in order to win about the change in the values if we believe in it. And, you know, because I believe in the economic freedom and the big conservative values and the broad, then we can have a discussion on nuanced policies. And I was at the AGM and I spotted in some policies. Um, and I was welcomed and that I had people who spoke against me who came up and said, thank you for speaking. Wow. And you'll never get that from the left in an NDP convention that will never happen. And, you know, I was, I've been booed at NDP conventions for speaking. Um, in fact, I was booed, um, at a couple NDP conventions for speaking out, against um, boycott, divestment, and sanctions, and for folks trying to move resolutions against Israel. I'm, I'm a Christian Zionist, so I'm very, very pro-Israel, and um, booed and roundly condemned for, um, you know, because you can't be pro-Israel and be a new Democrat at the same time, apparently. Yeah, it's, yeah, and that was the thing, is like, I was fully prepared to go to the UCP AGM mm -hmm. um, and be potentially hate crime out of the building. I wasn't. I was surrounded with love. Wow. I was never misgendered once, um, wow. which was amazing. That's huge. I ended up, That's huge. I, yeah, I ended up volunteering. I mean, I was in a dress and my blonde hair and heels and, and pink. And like, I, I, I purposely do that. You purposely stood out. <laughs> I purposely, and I think that's part of my job as a, as a trans woman. It's, you have to present as well as you can in order if you want to be, you know, correctly identified. And, you know, I ended up volunteering 
for a significant portion of it. And I've already said I'm volunteering next year. Hmm. I'm hopeful if they'll have me after everything. But, um, and it's so, it was so nice to have these nuanced discussions. And even after people were being like, well, you know, because the specifically the policy that passed, I did not yeah. support. But not because of the intent behind it. I agree with the intent. It was the implementation. And many people, I mean, like, let's have a discussion. Let's stop the discussion. And I know um, the government is. Um, I hope they'll listen to our diverse diverse perspectives on this Mm -hmm. issue in particular and how we implement it and how we do it. And that's what, that's really what I have now, you know, loved with being within the conservative tent. We are big tent parties. Um, I am a self-proclaimed progressive conservative um, will forever be. Um, that's well, um, my line, but that's the lovely thing. Somebody will bid party, will bid tent parties, where we can have these policy discussions. And at the end of it, we're united, um, you know, on the bid things that truthfully matter. Um, and I don't always end up agreeing, but that's okay. Um, so, Blaine, you have had quite the journey, but the one thing that comes through clear is your power. You sound and the 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 presence uh, is is one of of confidence, of assurance, assuredness, and 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 just power. It's actually quite inspiring. Um, I love seeing that because I have I've become quite cynical about politics. Um, and it's really encouraging to see somebody who is breaking their own glass ceilings in their own way and is choosing instead of being cynical about it to actually step into what could reasonably be considered the lion's den and holding your own. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah, I'm willing to. I mean, I'll, I've always, especially, I mean, especially after uh, in September, the September federal convention, um, I didn't attend, but I watched virtually. And when they passed two anti-trans motions, um, you know, and I did make that viral tweet that said, you know, there's no, those delegates shows no room for me in the party anymore. Um, and I'm like, wait, that doesn't mean I'm not voting for them still. Like, mm-hmm. no. Um, and I really hate it when those on the left say, how could any LGBTQ person vote conservative and my indigenous friends did it too how did any indigenous person and i we can't stand this tokenization um it's we don't believe in identity politics we believe in bitter values and bitter issues um and because uh you've actually accomplished nothing um on the left trying to on these issues we actually want to try and get somewhere um and so that's kind of a side note but um don't know where I was. Well, how, uh, how about how about a question for yeah. you to, to to wrap it up? Are you going to run? Because it sounds like it sounds like you're it sounds like you're you're you've got that in your future. I don't know if it's five, six, eight years, whatever it is, but I mean, it sounds like you've got a fire in your belly. I I fundamentally believe that politics. Um is part of my calling. It's not my only calling. I, I really don't like people think politics is the only in one calling. Mm-hmm. Um, I've 
you, but I, it is part of it. Will I fit into the political system? I don't know. Um, I have, I, I can't say I've, I haven't thought about running. Um, definitely mm-hmm. have. We'll see where the time comes. Um, on, on, you know, what issues, you know, my, the core of my issue is the, the, the policy of the society on most about is education with background being um, almost becoming a teacher and, you know, and the true belief that education is the um, great equalizer. It is the great opportunity giver. Um, I fundamentally believe um, that we can really do a lot of good work there to truthfully um, move our country and province specifically forward. Um, and so where I can contribute, um, I always have, um, and I'll continue to do so. Um, and I just, I really, I enjoy it. I've always enjoyed politics discussions. It's my um, point, um, but that's my map. And just we can make real, real progress on trying to, as I always say, move our country forward. Um, and I, uh, I believe that for the most part, conservative policies are the best way to get us there. Um, and others will disagree, and that's great. Let's have a that's what elections are for. <laughs> um, and I know we'll have one of those soon. Um, well, we certainly will. Yeah. BC, we have one next year, and uh, I think given the um the BC Conservative Party's uh, clear ascendancy. Um, they've come out very strongly against SOGI, the sexual orientation, gender identity um, uh, suite of resources uh, that has been in existence here in BC since I think 2014 or 2013. Um, And uh, they want what they're saying is less politics in education and more a focus on actually educating kids. And they're not saying no, um, at least this is what I, I think they're saying. They're not saying no discussions about these topics, but let's focus it le- more on, on the bullying side and less on the political SOGI side of things. So it'll be interesting to see those conversations play out because they are going to play very big in the election here next year. Um, so it'll be fascinating to see how that uh, how that falls down. I think the bc right split is going to be very interesting um because i mean alberta faced that and mm-hmm. we ended up with the rachel north new Democrat rachel north government um for four years um and and then they united um together so it'd be interesting to see what ends up happening if the bc united um party and bc conservatives um i would i mean I if I was in BC, I'd probably fit well into the BC United Party. I know something's on the Conservative side that went a little too far, but mm. I don't know everything about BC politics um, and where it fits. But I mean, with the especially in BC, from what I see, a split right will give the NDP an even larger majority. So be interesting. And it's hard to see how that doesn't happen right now. Um, I mean, a year is a long time in politics. A week is a long time, but a year is a long time. Um, we need to have an election next October, so who knows? But I think you're right. I think uh, 
I think you're spot on. The BC NDP is essentially walking into a victory with the split that's here right now. It's it's going to be almost no contest. Um, and it's yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. No. And like when they brought up, you know, and that's you know the Soji issues and everything. Like for me, what I want in education, and it's always been my mantra since you know when I when I was a student K to twelve, when I was spending eight years trying to become a teacher. Um, when I was teaching in the classrooms, it was kids first, always, no politics. We don't need to be politically indoctrinated in anything. And let's follow the best possible research on what on how to educate children. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science. It's very basic. I, you know, I, there are cases across the country um, where we've seen there is some more leftist indoctrination. Um, we all, I will not deny that that is possibly happening. I really don't believe it's happening much at all in Alberta. Um, we mm. have a very different system <laughs> and values here, but you know, there's that. But then the solution is not to start indoctrinating from the right and no. start imposing. Yeah, then the, you're you're that that's not right either. Um, no. the 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 solution is to just follow the evidence and and the best practices, as I think you really astutely put it. Yeah. And so that's. That's my message always on education is, you know, let's stop the politics and let's, let's put kids first. Um, it's, I don't think it's rocket science, but um, that's kind of uh, the big debate moving forward um, that most of this country seems to be having. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. And yeah. Well, Blaine, look, thank, thanks for your time today. It's amazing how fast an hour and 15 minutes went. That went by so quickly. Time flies and you're having fun and you're talking to good people. Um, I really want to just say how much I value and appreciate you, the the space that you're taking up. Um, it's it's uh, You're doing it with such um, humility and, uh, and positivity and focus. I think that's so important. And did you have anything else you wanted to say before we signed off? No, thank you so much for having me and trying to bring nuanced discussions again. We need it. We need discussions, um, not division. We need conversations, not cancellations. Mm-hmm. Um, and we can do this if we're willing to be bold enough to, to talk. And if, you know, if I can leave anybody with anything, it's to talk to one another. Genuinely talk to one another and listen to one another. Um, and you find you mostly agree with each other. So that's an excellent note to leave on. Thanks a lot, Blaine. Uh, appreciate it. Appreciate you. I hope that you're heading towards some good holiday time and uh, you get some downtime, maybe away from Twitter. Hopefully I'm going to try to. And uh, beyond that, uh, again, just thanks for your time and we'll catch up again soon in the future. Absolutely. Take care. Just because somebody said one thing at one point doesn't mean they one they still hold that view, or two it's still relevant. You know, yeah, we, it, have to, we have to allow people uh, to change. We can't yeah. lock people into their perspective. Yeah. We have to give that's that. Like to us, them. like we change. I mean, yeah. So what? And I, I mean, and it's always it hilarious. Make us bad people. <laughs> no, it's always hilarious coming to in such and sort of circles. And, like, well, why are you here? And I'm like, well, to be honest, I'm not a lifetime conservative. I used to be a new Democrat.